For episode 29, we go stateside once again, and I'm really, really pleased to have another member of the AMX Global family alongside me. Hello and welcome, Mr. Brad Dalton. Bradley, good to see you, buddy. It's been a while since we last talked. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm good, Alex. It has been a while, so but I'm doing pretty good. Uh, just hanging out there, uh, you know, filling in on AMX since uh, you've been running around with real life stuff, but just... <laughs> Hanging on, you know, filling in the commentary void and, you know, the real life void, trying to balance that uh, action of back and forth. Brilliant. Well, Brad, what I always ask all of my guests to do is to introduce yourself to the audience, please, in your own time. So, hey, everyone, my name is Brad. Um, I am a predominantly F1 commentator. Uh, started out doing esports commentary during COVID, like a lot of people, and picked up on F1 commentary and uh, moved forward from there. Got introduced to AMX, of course, got connected with uh, Alex here, who's been a great friend and a great mentor for me. And, you know, when I'm not doing, you know, virtual commentary stuff, a lot of my real life is watching real life racing uh, and work and getting involved in music and different things outside of the commentary world. But I always try to, you know, find time and come back into the motorsport world. And I make a lot of comments about it, whether it's Twitter, Instagram, uh, you know, commentary on stuff. But that's, you know, that's about me. That sums me up. Brilliant. Well, Brad, the first question I need to ask is, how did you get bitten by the motorsport bug and who was the main culprit sorry i mean catalyst on that one <laughs> yeah so actually um so growing up uh i grew up in a very very nascar driven family every sunday i remember my dad would go over to my uncle's whole family affair to get together and watch nascar daytona 500 was basically a national holiday in my house i am in you know the southeastern u.s area so uh, dirt track racing is a big deal. My uncle raced uh, modifieds and late models, and every Saturday night would be at the racetrack. My dad would be there. I'd get to work on the dirt cars, run around the track, watch the cars go around. And that was kind of how things started for me. And then growing up, uh, you know, stuck around with NASCAR for a while. And then it was actually 2019 Hockenheim was where F1 caught my attention. Right. Um, so that was a fun race. And I remember laying in bed on a Sunday morning and just I happened to have cable with the apartment I was renting and I was looking for something to watch. And I saw F1 and F1 was something I had seen a lot on social media and I'd seen a lot of stuff about it. And I was like, I don't really know a lot about F1. So that was my introduction to the world of F1. And it kind of uh, stuck with me from there. And then IMSA and every other motorsport in between has uh, slowly followed since uh 2019 2020 so yeah i mean it's great to hear that your your uncle ran, ran in in modifieds and obviously uh visiting the dirt track you know when when was the first act when was the first time 
Mr. Dalton actually headed to a race circuit. Was it with, with your uncle or was it with family or, you know, can you remember how old you were, where it was, what it was you were watching at that point? Yeah, it was, I would have been little because my uncle, it was, you know, just like every Sunday it was get together and watch NASCAR. It was every Friday night, every Saturday night for every weekend through the summer, it was dirt track racing, which again, Southeastern us, you know, short quarter mile, half mile dirt tracks. That is the bread and butter of racing around here. It's where most people get their start in racing. So it was every weekend going to the track and being in the pits. Um, that was the thing. And I was probably, yeah, four or five. And that was, you know, where it started. Um, eventually, you know, economy crashed and things kind of died out, you know, 2008 housing crisis in the U S and global recessions. So racing, you know, going every week into the track sort of stepped back for a bit, but it was still, you know, racing was still something that ran in the family. Again, every Sunday it was watch NASCAR. And if NASCAR was on, it was watch NASCAR and then watch football right after that was the family routine. So it was NASCAR followed by the NFL in rapid succession then. Oh, yeah. And Saturday <laughs> college football. Don't forget Saturdays. Oh, oh yes, 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 yes. Yeah, especially with the Orange Bowl <laughs> being a, a regular staple on college football these days. Uh, still a part of it. And, you know, which is which is always good that certain traditions never, never leave people these days. Um, oh, yeah. Next question. How did you get involved in commentary? Now, there is always a little bit of a story behind this, so I, I think we've talked about this at length, but it's a long time since we last we last had a bit of a chinwag, you and I. But just tell everybody at home how you actually got started in terms of sim racing commentary, predominantly. Oh, this is a fun little story. So you got plenty of time. I... <laughs> <laughs> so. I always enjoyed sort of commentary about stuff and sort of, you know, like sports commentary, that sort of thing was something I enjoyed. And I was a restaurant general manager for a while. So I ran a restaurant and I was working 50, 60, 70 hours a week, six, seven days a week. Never really had time to do a lot of stuff, but I did always enjoy sim racing. I, you know, I have a sim racing rig myself. I had a Logitech G29. I built a gaming PC during COVID, you know, that was just kind of the timing. And it was, um, you know, I got into sim racing pretty heavy, tried to get into leagues and do different stuff. And I'm just, I'm not a fast sim racer. I don't, my claim to fame is not that I'm good at sim racing. It's that I enjoy it. Yeah. Um, but when I worked at the restaurant I worked at and I ran the restaurant, one of my really good employees was actually going to college for sports broadcasting. Um, he actually works for a news station now, and that's his whole job is he travels around and, you know, broadcast about different sports events and writes articles. And that's his whole gig. But me and him had a conversation one time about that. And I remember it kind of stuck with me because he's like, yeah, I like sports. And, you know, I get to just watch sports and talk about it. And I was like, you know, I like racing. I like sim racing. Let's see it. You know, that would be something cool to get into. But I never had time. Well, 2021 hit and I changed jobs and went to working for a bank, which I'm still working there. But I went from the very chaotic, never knowing days off, never knowing when I was going to be available to working a very strict nine to five Monday through Friday weekends off. So my weekends got very boring and I tried to find something to fill the time. So I went to the F1 uh, game forums 
one day because I was like, you know, I see, you know, I was watching streams and watching a lot of Twitch streams, uh, George Morgan, uh, lots of the big names that you think of now when you think of F1 sim commentary. Um, NASCAR, of course, was broadcast in the U.S. on iRacing. And I was like, you know, that would be something cool to get into. I wonder what the barrier to entry is for that, to do that. Um, so I just Googled and I was looking at different discord servers looking for different ways to get into it um of course i found the grid finder server on discord and was looking for different leagues and most of them were european based and most of them were like thursdays fridays saturdays times that i couldn't accommodate and then i found a random blog post on f1 forums uh f1 2019 forums for a league called Fox's Racing League yeah. that was looking for a commentator um, on Sundays at 8 o'clock Central European time. And I did some quick math, and I was like, oh, that's a Sunday afternoon. Mind you, this is Saturday at 5 p.m. Yeah, for me. And so it had someone to message. So I joined their server and sent a message to one of the admin and said, hey, I found this post, sent him a link, and said, I see you're looking for a commentator. What are you all looking for? When's your next race? And he messages me back um, overnight. Of course, I'm asleep because time zone. And yeah. this is something I've had to get used to with sim racing. The time zone <laughs> difference. True. Um, so he sends me a message overnight and I wake up to it Sunday morning. And he said, hey, you'll want to message um, Debe. He's the admin. And I said, okay. Um, so I sent him a message and he's like, Hey, we've got a race in four hours. You know, how are you feeling? You know, is it something you can do today? And it was Monaco. It was F129 or F1 2020 on Monaco. And I was like, yeah, sure. I can do that in four hours. I can come up with something. So he sends me, um, a link to their stat sheet that they had for their league and sends me, you know, a couple of things. And I was like, okay, so in four hours, I learned how to work OBS that I was vaguely familiar with, but I learned how to set up transitions. I learned how to build scenes. Um, I built a bunch of little prop things and then I broadcast my first race. And from there it was just on and on. I ended up, you know, I streamed a little bit on my own YouTube and then, you know, founded a Twitch for them and set that up and got things going with that. And then, you know, now the league is on the tail end of its ninth season and, still going strong it's rebranded but you know same thing i started off doing back in what was it october 21 so i've been doing this for about two years now but yeah it was just literally scrolling on a an f1 forum one day and saying you know what i have free weekends now and this is something i want to try and then from there on in the the story continues with joining the team at amx global for season two uh, where you met me and all the craziness, craziness with TJ, <laughs> Reed, and everybody else. Um, of course, Marco being the first AMX Global uh, alumni being an interviewee on this uh, way back when. he Marco is a great character. He actually has the record for the second longest episode so far, which hmm. was an hour and 35 minutes. Then Phil Kinch from TCR UK blew that out of the water by about another 10, 15 minutes or something like that. Uh, but we know that Marco is such a, a great character. There's a, there's a whole lot of camaraderie with the team, with, with Reed, with Evan, with um, yourself and everybody else. Uh, I'm really looking forward to actually jumping back in the saddle 
yeah. Oh, I've got a quick question. Have you commentated on Max Verstappen yet? not i was supposed to commentate no uh, the weekend max was there and i had something come up and had to uh get it covered and then i tuned in because i had a little bit of free time so i went back and watched the vod and i was like i gave up my chance um little behind the scenes uh i am a big ran red bull fan mm-hmm. um unashamedly a Red Bull fan. I think the first broadcast we did on AMX, you were actually wearing an Oracle Red Bull racing shirt as well at the time, yep. <laughs> which was, um, <laughs> which was quite entertaining. I was like, there, there's me just in a plain t-shirt or something. And then along comes Brad Red Bull in your face, you know, yep. <laughs> but I, th- I think the thing is, is that that just goes to show people's characters that people do have allegiances, favorite teams in, in, in motorsport, which I, completely understand and, and appreciate brad what would you say out of your 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 commentary career so far what have been your biggest highlights to date so i think this is gonna sound cliche oh, no, no, a go little for bit it. Go but for it. i think my biggest highlight is having leagues reach out to me and making money doing this like that. Cause the thing is when I started commentating for FRL that turned into pole position racing, yep. it was doing something I enjoyed for the sake of, I enjoyed it and I wanted to do it. Yeah. Um, and it's really cool to see how that's, you know, grown and blossomed out because one of the things that I did that for a couple seasons and I was finally like, you know what? I, you know, I want to pursue this a bit more. And actually TJ from AMX had reached out to me during their season one or somewhere in season 1.5. But with the way their schedule worked in that season, um, I didn't have availability for it because it was right in the middle of my work, excuse me, my work days. Um, And then they reached out to me again on Instagram right at the end of season 1.5 and said, Hey Brad, we want to connect, you know, send us a message. So I did on discord and it was like, Hey, I've talked to you all before. Sweet. You know, what's changed with the scheduling? How are things looking and getting to do that? And then also having other leagues reach out to me and say, Hey, we've seen your work. What's your availability? How do you, you know, feel with this? And even just having that home of, you know, AMX and pole position racing. Cause my October was really busy, just like yours was, Alex. And I didn't get to commentate pole position racing the entire entirety of October. I missed five races. Mm-hmm. And so I, I went back Sunday night uh, just a couple of days ago and got back in the saddle. And, you know, they were all messaging me during October. Hey, how are you doing? You know, we miss you. How are things going? When are you back? And then getting to go back in and say, you know, hey, guys, I'm back this weekend. Getting to commentate and, you know, yep. seeing all the numbers come back. It It's just cool because it's like, it's one of those moments where, you know, you're doing something you enjoy and other people are enjoying it for the fact that you're doing it. It's not mm-hmm. work. It's something you enjoy and you're doing something you enjoy. And that's been, I think that's the big highlight for me with the entire thing. I think it was also pretty cool when uh, Brad actually reached out to me to help him with his first ever show reel, which you know, it was actually pretty cool because then all of a sudden I get a uh, 
pardon my French here, a shit ton of spam on my Discord DMs <laughs> thanks to this man here. Um, but, but it, you know, the, the, the thing is, is that uh, as a commentator that where you know that you feel appreciated, you know, and it doesn't give you a, an ego as such, because it's like, it makes mm-hmm. you keeps, keeps both feet planted on terra firma, doesn't it? Because you're like, this is where I made my start. This is where my roots are. This is where I, yep. I, I, I started this journey. And I think that's a really, really good point to put across that having leagues reach out to you and asking you for your availability. And now you understand when I get busy, like it's, 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 it's crazy, but it it is also a good thing because then at least like, hang on a second, this first impression I made with, with Fox, uh, FRL now PPR and with AMX and now all these, all these leagues are coming to me and they want to pay me for what I do. It is actually quite a satisfying feeling. I wouldn't say it's a, an egotistical feeling. It's more of a satisfying feeling because now you know that you have you add value to a broadcast. You add that sort of dynamics. You have your own commentary style, and people appreciate that, don't they? Yeah, it's it's honestly humbling to an extent because it really does. Like I'm not. I don't consider myself like an arrogant person. I I try to be confident with what I do when I know I know what I'm doing, but it really does. It hits that point for me where it's like, wait a minute, like there's thousands of people that do what I do and you, you're sure it's me, right? Like you all are sure it's me. <laughs> um, yeah. So, cause it really does hit that point. And you know, there's been moments even during like, you know, my commentary times where it's been challenging to balance you know, sim racing commentary with real life obligations. And there's been moments, you know, with AMX, there was a point where, you know, there were races at 6 a.m., 5 a.m. my time. And I had to turn those down, not because I didn't want to do them, but it was because, you know, outside obligations. I can't exactly be yelling at a, you know, microphone while, you know, I've got, you know, people asleep in the house. Mm -hmm. It just becomes one of those... Like, it's hard to balance it, and it's very humbling to get this much opportunity and see different leagues reach out, see different people reach out and just say, hey, I like what you do. I like your style, you know, and seeing people who are much better at this than me, you know, getting involved. Team Redline being on AMX, that's one of those things where, you know, when AMX announced that Team Redline partnership, I was like, I actually remember asking you and saying, I don't know if I'm qualified for this. Like, this is one of those things where it's like, yeah. I feel like this is outside of my skill set. Um, I remember, I remember that conversation distinctly because the first thing I said to Brad, folks, was, "Look, be yourself, do what you do, you'll be fine." And he, and I'll, I'll give Brad his due; he nailed it. He absolutely nailed it because it, it's never easy when you've got one of the biggest powerhouses, if not now the biggest powerhouse since Oracle Red Bull Racing Esports, joined forces <laughs> with Redline, which has made it even more bananas. And they do say bananas is good, uh, especially if your name is Guy Fieri. Um, <laughs> um, there's the first kitchen uh, or chef reference in this show ever. Um, and it had to be a stateside one as well. But yeah, I think oh, it's yeah. uh, I think it's when the announcement started cu- coming, you know, next next level racing. 
then Redline, and then on a broadcast having Max Verstappen compete, which was... And people might say to me, well, yeah, well, he's he's a three-time world champion. Yeah, but he's also one of the best sim racers out there. Most of the time, if he's not at a track, he's at his sim in Monte Carlo, in his apartment, playing. And there's even been when, because if people don't already know, uh, Kelly Piquet is his girlfriend. Yep. And Kelly's daughter has been on multiple occasions disturbing Max when he's on the scene, <laughs> which has gone viral on social media. And I think that's, you know, it's really, really cool that he's, he's, he's got a, a girlfriend who is a mum, but also makes sure that he's always, he's always on point. And I still remember Max's days in karting, even though at that point I wasn't a commentator until 2017. Mm-hmm. But the way that he was as a carter, and now you see, we, we, we're we sort of seeing a, a Max in a stage of his career where he isn't touchable. He is untouchable. Okay, yeah, there's been a couple of moments where there's been some faux pas from Red Bull, but by the by, mm-hmm. he's now been the person with the most race wins in one season. One season, folks, and he's just done that at Interlagos this past weekend when we were recording this. But he hasn't, you know. I think he's he he's become a bit more humorous. When they were uh, there was a particular reel on Instagram where they were <laughs> showing the different signs and uh, like say honey badger for like Danny Rick, and then yep. you had the spaghetti and the tree for Piazza. Uh, the pasta and the tree and he couldn't get it first of all and then he started taking the nick the mickey out of his own surname where it had the you know the and it had the pan in the middle and he went oh the pen you know just started being a, an infertile kid which was absolutely hilarious because you saw the sense of humor that max has got and i think now that he's he's got that pressure off of his system he knows he's gonna have the number one on the car next year with the RB20, but um, I think a lot of people don't realise how much emphasis he's put into into Redline, and mm-hmm. I think you're seeing a lot of these drivers. You know, is one of his best buddies runs at McLaren, Lando Norris, also a Team yep. Redline alumni. Imagine that Norris and Verstappen on a Team Redline AMX production. That would be absolutely freaking ridiculous if that would ever happen. I, Max, Lando, make it happen. <laughs> I would clear anything I had scheduled that day. I, I would clear everything for that day just to just to be on board. Yeah. Um, social media does have some funny moments on it, Brad. It does. Yeah. It does. Um, the thing is, before this broadcast, um, I'm actually going to social media... As we speak on my phone, <laughs> because uh, don't worry, Brad, your uh, your respective details are in the description below. <laughs> um, right, okay. <laughs> I'm going to take you back to Instagram. Oh, boy. Okay, oh now, boy. 22nd of July, 2022. Okay. In in Richmond, Kentucky. Yep. And the the picture is now going up on the screen. It's going, tell me you're dating Anna without telling me you're dating Anna. 
And what are you wearing? <laughs> what on earth is that? You, was it was it sort of like a Halloween costume planned a bit early? Oh boy! Um, so I'm actually going to pull up my Instagram and go back to this. I'm going to show so you the I picture now, recall. Brad. Yep. So <laughs> we had just moved. Yeah. Um, I bought a grill because, uh, yeah. Another fun fact: when I started sim rights and commentary, I was in a tiny one bedroom apartment that had one door. Um, oh. one door, one bed, one bathroom. So I would commentate sitting <coughs> in the bedroom while Anna was asleep in the bed with uh, noise canceling headphones in. So that way she couldn't hear me. She'd take her Sunday afternoon nap mm-hmm. uh, while I did commentary. And um, so when we moved, um, I got a grill, of course, because we moved into a house and had a garage. And I was like, I'm getting a grill. So she bought that at a TJ Maxx. Um, because uh, she is a big, big Halloween uh, person. Uh, right. We have a black cat, of course. Um, Halloween decorations are up year round. That's just that's how things are around here. Mm-hmm. So she bought that and said, if I buy this, will you wear it? And I said, oh, absolutely. I'll wear it while I grill. So I put it on. That's the first time I put it on, came out uh, from starting the grill. And she was like, I want a photo of this. And I was like, OK, take the photo. And took that photo and I turned around and made pancakes. It's, it's quite funny. That's something we would call in the, uh, the United Kingdom, a penny, like a pinafore. It's a, it's a, it's a English posh term for an apron or, (laughs) (laughs) but Hey, well, at least the main thing was you were absolutely game for it. When your other half said, are you going to wear it? Yeah. And you're a man of your word, which I absolutely admire and respect (laughs) for doing that, mate, for, for having the cojones to do that. Um, now, favorite racing drivers, of course, we have talked about someone that you would completely fangirl over. We are talking <laughs> about the legend that is three-time Formula One world champion, Max Verstappen. Yeah. Are there any other drivers that you also like apart from Max, whether it be Formula One, NASCAR, uh, mm-hmm. sports cars? Are, are there any other drivers that you really respect and admire uh, as a racing fan? So I'm a big fan of Max. Um, and that has been, you know, that's a sticking point. But um, Alex Albon is a driver I'm a big fan of. Um, same with Pierre Gasly. Um, yeah. George Russell I'm a big fan of. Um, I really, really like George Russell. And just um, watching him kind of go from Williams up to Mercedes, work his way up through the junior formulas and go up, um, I was a big fan of him. Alex Albon and Pierre Gasly... I'm a fan of because of what they've dealt with, with F1. Yeah. But like it hasn't been an easy road for them, especially if you look at Albon mm-hmm. um, and Pierre going from Red Bull back. Um, Cause it's a very, that's the thing with Red Bull racing. I love Red Bull racing. Don't get me wrong, but like it's very unforgiving. Nick DeVries is a good example. And yep. if you're not familiar with F1, Quick rundown. Nick DeVries, a uh, very, very accomplished Formula driver, uh, Formula E driver, uh, filled in in a reserve role because Alex Albon had appendicitis yep. um, with Williams. Standout points on debut, immediately gets signed for AlphaTauri for this season, gets dropped halfway through the season for Daniel Ricciardo. Um, yeah. Also, I love Daniel Ricciardo. Honey Badger is a beautiful oh. human being. You know, you know what the the real sort of Danny Rick comes out as soon as we go to Cota, 
You know, the facial yep. hair changes, that good old Texas draw <laughs> comes out, y'all. You know, it's the cowboy hat, it's the Stetsons, he loves his barbecue. He's a complete... I think the thing is, it, the he is the perfect marketing tool for a driver that any Formula One yep. team can have. I have to give a shout-out to Liam Lawson because he did a mega job yes. standing in for Danny Rick, who unfortunately... Uh, if anyone did see one of the free practice sessions at Sandfort, he uh, and uh, Danny Rick ended up crashing and uh, broke one of the metacarpals in his hand, which then yeah. required surgery. But it's good to see him back. Um, yeah, I mean that's that's pretty cool. That there's I, I I like what you said there with regards to Alex Albon. You know, mm-hmm. was promoted early, very much like Max was from Toro from what was Toro Rosso back in the day is now Alpha Tauri. We don't know what it's going to be called next year, but apparently Hugo Boss is going to have a name. Name is probably going to help with regards to the name change on that one, apparently, but we don't know yet. Who knows? Who knows? Uh, who cares, to be honest with you? I think everyone will still call it Alpha Tauri for the first six races if there's a name change anyway, <laughs> especially if your name's David Croft. Um, and I, th- I think the thing is, it's good that they have decided to stick with Danny Rick and Yuki Sonoda who I think mm-hmm. has been a bit of an unsung hero at AlphaTauri. You know, he's he's yep. also been one that's been criticised quite a bit, but I think this year he's sort of had to be, you know, Danny Rick's come in because, of course, Helmut Marco. Yeah. That's all I'm saying yeah, on that that's, one. Um, but, uh, but, of course, yeah. I think also with the fact that Dietrich Mateschitz is no longer with us, God rest his soul, that... Helmut Marco has got a, I think, probably been given a little bit more power in terms of his role within the Red Bull family, folks. Mm-hmm. What I mean by that is that you're seeing uh, a lot of new drivers um, now being with the Red Bull junior squad, such as Arvin Lindblad from the UK. Tim Tramnitz has just recently been signed as a Red Bull junior driver um, earlier on this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of my friends actually works with him. Uh and then you see all these other drivers that have come through the Red Bull Academy, such as Sebastian Buemi, uh, who's now back in, who's been in Formula E now for a handful of years, and in Berlin earlier on this year on round seven, where I was the German circuit commentator, picked up his 16th pole position, which just so happens to match his number 16 on his Envision racing car. Uh, you then look at Brendan Hartley, another perfect example is with the Red Bull Academy, gets dropped, goes to sports cars, then comes back to, I think it, was it Toro Rosso at the time when Brendan rejoined? I think it was. Or was it Alfa I think so, yeah. Yeah, it was Toro Rosso. He was in for a season, then uh, went back to sports cars, and now has won multiple titles with Toyota, and recently saw the news that he's going to be in the number 10 Minolta Wayne Taylor car for next year again alongside a good friend of mine, Philippe Albuquerque. And I think I'm not too sure if it, I think it might have been might have been Jordan that's on the other side of the car. You know what? I'm gonna have to I think <laughs> let me just have a look. Because it did actually break. That news broke before we started recording this. And um let's have a look. Uh yeah, yeah it's under yeah, so Brendan Hartley joins Ricky at Ricky Taylor and Philippe Albuquerque in the in the number ten, and then how's this for a lineup, folks? 
WTR Andretti driver lineup in the number 40 is Jordan Taylor and Louis Delatraz as the full-time uh, full-season drivers. And who's joining them for the IMSA Michelin Endurance Cup? Colton Herter. <laughs> that is two dynamite pairings. Two dynamite pairings. But I'm really, really glad to see that drivers like Brendan have uh, have landed back on their feet. But yeah, Alex uh, and Pierre, both graduates of the, the Red Bull Academy, uh, both have been with Red Bull, both got dropped back down to Alpha Tauri. And I think, as you said, Pierre had a really good result at Interlagos. Alex... Um, has had some really good results with Williams. He's been the talisman for the team. I feel for Logan yep. Sargent because he's being he's being uh, given a rough ride as a rookie. Yeah, uh, it, as his well, teammate. See, here's the thing with it though, and this is a part that frustrates me with you know F1 Twitter, F1 Twitter, F1X, whatever we're calling it now. Um, you know, a lot of the drivers go through a lot of hate, but they're all there for a reason. Yeah. Um, they've all worked their way forward through junior formulas, through karting days, whatever it may be. They've found their footing somewhere to be one of, you know, the top 20 drivers in the world. Mm-hmm. That's the thing with F1 is, you know, it's 20 drivers. Yeah. And that's all there is to it. Hopefully it'll be 22 or 24 drivers coming up because uh, I would like to see Cadillac have a car on the grid, but you know, Money becomes an issue always, depending yeah. on who you ask. Mm-hmm. But and politics, you know, yeah, politics, money. That's uh, that. That's, that's F1 what runs in a nutshell, folks. <laughs> yep, yep. Um, but yeah, so that's like that's my thing with the drivers. Like, there's not a driver that I dislike. Mm-hmm. There, there's ones that frustrate me with certain things. You know, Lance Stroll. Um, I had a, my his... ears were burning as just before you said that name, um, because I think okay, yes, Dad is the main bankroller for the team with a conglomerate. Completely mm-hmm. understand, completely understand. There have been sparks of brilliance from the young man, but when your teammate is a multi-time Lamar winner, has competed in Dakar has won two Formula One world titles and pips Sergio Perez at the line at over 160 miles an hour at Interlagos to pick up a, finally, another podium for Fernando Alonso. Overdue. Long overdue for Aston Martin. You have to wonder, well, if Fernando is probably old enough to be Lance's dad, let's be honest here, at 42 years of age, four years younger than me, and Fernando still has the hunger, still has the passion. And Lance has flashes of brilliance and then flashes of I don't know how to explain it uh, without saying an expletive on the show. There are just times when, like you say, he can... He, I think he's, he's his own worst enemy at times, isn't he? Well, and I watched a really good video on YouTube recently, and I think it's a Josh Revel video mm-hmm. um, about Lance Stroll leaving Formula One. And it actually makes a good point that Lance would be a good fit in the WEC and running endurance cut for Aston Martin yeah. and would be a, you know, would make a good fit there. Um, now, granted, that video came out before Brazil and then Lance Stroll went on to qualify, you know, second row. 
uh, with a very, very good run. But, you know, and then you step back a few weeks ago and Lance Stroll had to get someone to the stewards because he shoved his trainer on camera and got out of the car and shoved his trainer and stormed off. Yeah. And then, you know, the media said, how's the car or, you know, what was qualifying? And, you know, he basically was just like, horrible. Why am I doing this? And stormed off. And he said some choice words that I won't say on the show, but mm-hmm. you know, it's moments like that. And it's like, you know, top 20 drivers in the world. And it's like, th- this is what we get. Like granted he's there because he is an accomplished junior formula driver. He has worked his way up just like every other driver has, yeah. but it does become the question, especially with Aston Martin. Now there's rumors that, you know, Lawrence Stroll is selling the team, whether that's true or not, nobody knows. And we won't know until it actually happens. But, um, you know, it becomes one of those moments where it's like, is this really what we're like, what we're showing, what we're doing? Like, are we, are we sure about that? Yeah. I think it's also the fact that in 2025, the Aston Martin Valkyrie will be on the IMSA and the wet grid, especially with spirits of race being confirmed as the official works team for IMSA, which I'm actually really, really happy about because you, you, with the connections that spirits of race have, uh, you know, the like, say, Mike Rockefeller, he would be an absolute mm-hmm. shoe in for that squad. And if you had somebody like, uh, and folks, don't get don't get it twisted at all. I'm looking at this from a realistic marketing exercise that, like, where you see all the drivers that have been in Formula One have gone to WEC and have won titles. Kobayashi, Buemi to name but a few. Hulkenberg, when he wasn't in, in Formula 1, he was running, well, no, when he was in Formula 1 at Sahara Force India, that was the one of the former names of uh, of the team now known as uh, Aston Martin F1, well, as was it? Aston Martin, Aramco Formula 1 Cognizant Team, or whatever it is. I'd, I've probably Something got it along wrong. those lines. Something along those lines, but it's the most long-winded team name ever. Nico Hulkenberg goes and wins Lamar on his first try with the likes of Nick Tandy and El Bamba. You know, and you you see that there are so many people that have gone into Formula One, haven't won races. I think I think Kamui Kobayashi is the last ever Japanese driver at this moment to secure a podium. Sonoda hasn't achieved that in his Formula One career, folks. Let's not forget that. But the funny thing was, Kamui Kobayashi. Did it on home soil at Suzuka, of all places, with Sauber, if I remember correctly. Um, So you look at some of the F1 F1 talent on the grid. Of course, Mick Schumacher's being buzzed around as the possibility of maybe going in with Alpine in in WEC, in the brand new, and I have to say, absolutely lovely looking A424B. And I love the fact that with Alpine, that they have used the actual Alpine logo as the taillights on the car. How's that for branding? <laughs> because they'll know exactly what car they're trailing down the Mulsanne at Lamar at the 24 hours next year in mid-June. Yeah, I, th- I think if Lance was possibly, I wouldn't say sidestep, but given a different opportunity, I think he'd probably rise to the challenge and go, you know what, I don't have to go 11 tenths. I can go nine and a half tenths and still be mm-hmm. consistent. So folks, just because they have a multitude of years in Formula One 
does not mean that those skills will not transfer to a car that's going to have a shed load of downforce, a lot of horsepower, and you're going to be amongst the likes of BMW, Lamborghini, uh, Alpine, Porsche, Caddy in WEC. You know, because those grids are swelling because of what cars are coming. I mean, like, I have to say, along with the the Alpine for, uh, A424, the new Lamborghini SC63, <laughs> which is a complete... And the powertrain is a complete departure from what we normally know of for Lamborghinis, where it's like normally if it's an Aventador or, or, or the, the, the new generation Countach, which is a 6.5-litre, naturally aspirated V12... They're shoehorning something. I think it's I think it's like a three point eight liter twin turbo V eight in that SC sixty three. Completely different en- engine architecture, but it's the way that supercars are going now that you're seeing this. Uh, as we all know, Brad, that it's it's that transfer of race technology to the road, whereby you know they've come out with the Revolto, which is a hybrid supercar. And now they're going to probably be, through the SC63, developing more compact, still high power, but turbocharged engines that are going to be hybrid-propelled as well. And they'll be going into the road cars in the not-too-distant future, even though Lamborghini is also one of these supercar brands that is planning full electrification in the the years to come, Mm -hmm. especially like Lotus now doing the Emira, which is the last ever internal combustion engine from Hethel. And even I'm surprised at that. But yeah, like you say, Lance Stroll is, is one of those people that could benefit from, from a move across. I think, who knows, Mick Schumacher might do just like Antonio Giovinazzi has done with AF Corsa for, with, the, with the 499, yep. which has been an absolute revelation to, to WEC. It's just really, really good. Um, who else in Formula One would you say, apart from Lance Stroll, hasn't possibly showcased what they're fully capable of? I mean, yes, we know that Nico Hulkenberg has never got a podium in Formula One, even though <laughs> when he was at Renault, he nearly did at Hockenheim before that big old rainy day. I think it was 2019, wasn't it? It was that big old rainy day, and everyone started falling off the track. Even Hamilton fell off the yeah. track. Um but I think, you know, there's, there's, there's a few other drivers in there that I think Esteban Ocon, okay, Pierre Gasly, they, yeah. they are both race winners. But they haven't had either the consistency. I mean, Esteban was off, was on the sidelines after being dumped by Racing Point uh, when he was alongside, um, when he was alongside Checo and they had that yeah. nice little altercation down from the source into a Rouge one particular year. Uh, I think... <laughs> You know, I think there's so many drivers in the, you know, the younger tier formers. Felipe Drugovic, perfect example. He's now a reserve driver again for 2024 for Aston Martin. And over a year ago, he was the FIA Formula 2 champion. So I'm wondering, when is Lawrence Stroll going to say to Lance... I want to put Felipe in the car, mate. But there is, uh, even a dad will run out of patience, even though he is the man that leads the management of the board at Aston Martin. He's got to look at it and say, you know, Singapore, big accent, Lance is out of the race. And also I think for Japan as well, if I remember correctly, 
Yeah. And they didn't run they didn't run the car there either. So that was two Grand Prix after one big mistake in qualifying and Lance just completely bins the car. This is no disrespect mm-hmm. to Lance at all. He was pushing, but it just comes to a point where they have to say, you know what, we've got to cut our losses. And if they say, Lawrence, mm-hmm. it isn't working with Lance. We don't know why. And no matter what we try, it doesn't seem to work. We, 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 we're running out of ideas. And he might just say, actually... Keep him in the car for 2024. Keep him alongside Fernando, and then say to Lance, "Right, we're sticking you in WEC. We think it's for your own good." There probably will be a time when father and son will have a conversation because there was all those mm-hmm. those canny rumours about the fact that he was planning to ditch F1 for a professional tennis career. Which I <laughs> I, I thought, who on earth has brought this curveball into the mix? You know, F1 Twitter. That's all you have to know. F1 Twitter. Uh... Someone can literally just tweet. I don't want. What's the what was it that happened last week? I don't want to believe the paddock, and it just set off a string of things. Oh yeah, it was, uh, a Spani- was that? Uh, right after Mexico uh, or right before Mexico. I think it was Alberto Vargas, a Spanish journalist, that said, "I don't want to hear any any of these rumors of the paddock," and it, and then he had to apologize. Yep. For said tweet. Uh, as well. But granted, Will Buxton, you know, kind of fueled the flame with a couple of uh, fun little gifts that he quote tweeted. But that's Will. That's Will know. in a nutshell. That's Will. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, Will has been part of that paddock for over uh, over what is it now? Three hundred Grand Prix. So well done, Will. Yep. Well done, buddy. That was funny enough. That was at uh, yeah. That was actually at the Autodromo Hermano Rodriguez at the Mexican Grand Prix. Mr. 300. So well done, Will. Um, yeah, that's, that's crazy how long he's been in that paddock for. 300 Grand Prix and still going. Uh, but yeah, I think it's, it is it is the case that as soon as paddock rumours start to happen and then silly season. Um, <laughs> I like the fact that Haas were very, very quick to retain K-Mag and, and Hulk. Uh, I have to say that was actually a very, very good move for for Gene and, and, and Gunter to do that because it just means that at least they can they can try and help develop that that car. Uh, and there's been some really good flashes uh, of pace from from Haas as well. I still remember um, K Mag's po- pole last year and the yeah. celebration when he got out of the cockpit. It was just <laughs> iconic. Um, but yeah, there, there, there could be quite a few other drivers that we could talk about here, but you know, we've only got a limited amount of time, uh, as such. <laughs> um, have you sort of ever been starstruck meeting a, a person within motorsport, like a personality or, or a racing driver you've ever met before? So in person motorsport starstruck, I think the biggest moment I had was when I was in high school, me and my dad went to a sprint car race. It was actually a Bulls Gap, Tennessee, and it was Casey Kane. Um, And I got to meet Casey Kane and get his autograph. Mm -hmm. And that's probably the biggest motorsport celebrity I've met. Um, I haven't done a lot of real-life motorsport stuff. Um, Unfortunately, both combination of finances and, you know, a world lockdown in the mix, right, as I got into motorsports. um, You know, that can start a whole conversation about, you know, is motorsport becoming inaccessible because pricing, um, you know, especially with the Vegas Grand Prix. Yeah, coming I, up. 
um, my ears you know, were burning. I was waiting for the words yep. Vegas to. Yeah, well, uh, th- that's uh, yeah. I I think it's quite funny what's been happening with Vegas because they've just had Seema there as well, uh, with yep. quite a few of the YouTube YouTubers out there like Tavarish, uh, Shmi One Fifty, Matt Armstrong, who uh, whose engine on his UK um, originally crash damage RS Six. Uh, he went and did a drag race. The car had been on a on a container ferry from Portsmouth to LA. LA docks Mm -hmm. and yeah, he went and did a drag race and as soon as the car hit hundred miles an hour, engine warning, like limp home mode. And then yeah. And Matt had to get it trailered to SEMA. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) But but that's, that's the thing. Um, Yeah. So SEMA's just happened. There was, you know, I think one of the waterfalls, I think just outside the Bellagio has been completely drained in order for yep. spectator grandstands to be built. There's been all this hoo-ha about the the glass panels that have been put on bridges across where the where where the racetrack is going to be and yep. they uh, people have started ripping off the 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 sort of like the I think it was like some sort of like white tint that was put on it or wrap. Yeah, it's like, like a just privacy rebel, film. Uh, the privacy zones which was I just thought, <laughs> hang on a second, look. And then I also hear about the fact that hospitality packages at some of the hotels that will have premium paddock access and also premium viewing sites for part of the Grand Prix mm-hmm. with additional screens and all that kind of stuff not being sold. Yeah, you take it to somewhere like Vegas. Okay, yes, the costs are going to be extortionate, but when you have a the top tier in single-seater motorsport controlled by an American media company, they are going yep. to try and they, they said that it was going to be a case of, we want to bring the Super Bowl wow factor to Formula One. And okay. Yeah. They're, they're, they're trying their damnedest. They're trying to change things up. I mean, I still remember in, in Formula One, you, you didn't just have qualifying, you had pre-qualifying. So if you didn't get through to quality, you were done. That was it. Your race weekend was gone. Whereas now it's like at Brazil, it was free practice. Then you had to, then you had to lock in your, your setup for the the sprint. Yeah. So your sprint shootout, you're qualifying, then your sprint. I have to say out of all the sprint races I've watched, Brazil was the most exciting. Brazil has been hands down the most exciting sprint race in Formula One history so far since they invent they brought that into it. But what the yep. one thing that I don't like is that they have to fix their setups with limited time availability. What they need to do, and and, f- and I'm not being critical of Formula One. I'm just saying that I think what they need to do is after the sprint, stop the park Fermi rubbish and let the teams get ready for the actual race. Because once you lock in that setup, that's why Mercedes are all over the shop. They, they did, they did really, really well in the sprint race. And then when it got to the main race, done, there was nothing in the tank for Mercedes. They were, they were at everyone's, you know, everyone was at their door. Everyone was at their door. And Toto Wolff, Completely, one hundred percent was right in saying, "Yeah, we don't know what we don't know what's going on," because there's a there's there's 
the teams are now concentrating on next year. And I think Christian Horner sending the biggest warning shot saying, yeah, we haven't really had to do much to the current car. And I'm like thinking, well, there comes another, <laughs> there comes another Formula One title for Max Verstappen next year. Straight yeah, away, because when you know that you've got Adrian Newey in your corner, okay, yes, members of Red Bull Racing have moved to other teams, but it, it hasn't stopped the team that was so dominant in the early 2010s. So from 2010 to 20, 2013, the most dominant man in Formula One at that time, Sebastian Vettel. Four titles on the bounce. And it was only when hybrid power came in and Mercedes got the jump on everybody else because uh, the big story was that Mercedes developed three power units. The one that was heavy, cumbersome, but was bulletproof. Then they had the one that was powerful, but brittle. And then they found that clear medium. And the first time you knew that Red Bull were on the back foot was it was at Melbourne. Because Sebastian Vettel didn't make it to the end of the race. He had a lack of power, <laughs> and it was game over. And then Mercedes had been on a tear. And even Toto Wolff when we knew what the what the cars were going to look like in some way, shape, or form for the new regs from 2022, he said, we might not be the dominant force. And was he right? He's not a yep. fortune teller, but he definitely was. And Red Bull, when, the, when there's been a regulation shift that they know will work in their favor, have taken full advantage of it. Okay, yes. Mercedes had to plan a bit more for 2022, I think. And even with the uh, the Coke bottle, you know, the zero side pods that we <laughs> saw, which didn't quite work out. And they, they've had to move to to everybody else. I think it, it just goes to show that you can be the, the biggest powerhouse. And once your dominant streak gets overturned, then everyone knows that you're vulnerable, don't they? And that's the thing with motorsport, period. Like, even looking outside of Formula One, yeah. like, you look at IMSA this year. Uh, very, very clear dominance there. Um, you look at, you know, Rally. Very, very clear dominance in Rally for, you know, teams. And it's just... In motorsport, when you get it right, you get it very, very right. Mm -hmm. And when you get it wrong, you get it very very wrong and you end up just scratching your head um you mentioned it you know as soon as the new regs came out and they you know showed off the cars and stuff the first thing toto wolf said he was like yeah we may be backwards a bit and it goes to show that sometimes you just know um i have a feeling that a lot of teams are you know would love to get their hands on adrian newey's little uh black notebook that he carries because that the secrets that are in that notebook are legendary right now, especially because I don't think the regs change again until what, 2025, 2026? 2026, when Ford officially become a partner of Red Bull Powertrains. Uh, and one of the things, folks, is that Honda has never really been out of Formula One. Mm -hmm. Not, no. Nope. And the reason being, they said, yeah, we're, we're withdrawing from Formula One, but we're still going to work with Red Bull because Red Bull to, uh, managed to get thanks to the cooperation of the Honda Racing Corporation, HRC, to get the intellectual property of the power units, which was absolutely crucial. And some of the team from Honda 
who were employed by Honda, now work for Red Bull. So that intellectual property that Red Bull now have possession of through Honda, I think is going to work very, very well. I will be very, very interested to see what Farley and Ford and everybody at the team at, uh, at Dearborn do with regards to the, con- uh, you know, the collaboration. I think it's really, really good that the Ford name is coming back into Formula 1, even though it is not in a internal combustion sense, but it's the right. the electric propulsion because Ford um, Ford now have got uh, this young lady by the name of Lexi Limitless who is going around in a Ford Explorer EV, which is a which is a car that's also known in the US. So if people might know the Ford Explorer that I know of, I still remember the 1990s car that had a massive problem with recalls back in the day. But now Ford have brought out their own set of EVs, such as the F-150 Lightning, the Mustang Mach-E, which has also got a GT version. But they've also gone with the Explorer for a more uh, a global car like we've seen, like, say, the Fiesta. The Mondeo is also a global car uh, for Ford Motor Company. And I worked with the brand for multiple years over my automotive my motive stretch, but I think I'll be interested to see how the collaboration between Dearborn and Milton Keynes works out because of course, uh, Red Bull are now putting a lot of infrastructure into Red Bull powertrains for ahead of 2026 and trying to get the jump maybe on the opposition. So by doing that now, by getting that collaboration with Jim Farley and the team at Ford could stand them in good stead for 2026. But, mm-hmm. We don't know how that landscape is going to change, Brad, do we? Because there could be a new set of set error regs, set stock components that the teams might not have control over. And I think when you look at Formula 2 and Formula 3, there's a lot of stock componentry. There's not much that the teams have a direct impact over. You could do like wing adjustments and other bits and pieces, but you're quite limited on what you can do with these cars. And then also there's the push to 100% sustainable fossil-free fuels from 2026 onwards for Formula yep. 1. So there is a lot that we, you know, we're still, I mean, even though we're, we're coming to the end of 2023, we're still a, a full t- two seasons away from really finding out what these cars are going to be capable of, what they're going to look like. Are there going to be any changes on the the aero tolerances that the teams can do? Are they going to have less wiggle room than we've had since the 2022 regulations, which were actually put back two Mm -hmm. years because of COVID? There's so much that's always up in the air about Formula 1 because you don't know what the FIA is going to decide. Are they going to change the goalposts again? Are they going to uh, increase a further clampdown on the... The cost cap, uh, that's another big thing that's now in Formula 1. There's just so much that could change in the next two seasons where could Red Bull have the advantage on everybody or are we going to see a new Formula 1 superpower come forward? That's the big thing. Williams Racing 2026 onward confirmed. Uh, (laughs) Champions over and over. I would not complain a bit. No, no. No, but yeah, it's... (sighs) See, and again, that's the thing with, like, Formula One, FIA. You never know. And, you know, Red Bull could get it completely wrong like Mercedes did and completely drop back. Mm -hmm. They could start out strong and then other people develop past them. You you just never know. And I really like F3 and F2 races. And 
it goes back to, you know, what you mentioned. It's very cookie cutter. You don't get to develop a bunch of spec parts. You don't get the issue of, well, maybe we just developed the car wrong. Maybe we just don't have enough money. You're taking a dollar a chassis and you're throwing it together and you're racing. That's where you're at. You have your spec components. That's what you run. You don't get to say, well, if I change, you know, the wing this way or the body this way, I can eke out another two tenths in the corner and move forward and get 0.2 G more. And, you know, the driver can stand it. He can get another half a second a lap on the field. Yeah. It's just go out there, and I want to see the pace of the drivers. So you end up with, you know, George Russell, good example. All the way up through junior formulas was an absolute dominant beast. Yeah. Gets to F1, goes to Williams Racing, is unheard of for seasons on end. Valtteri announces he's going to Alfa Romeo. They shoe in George. And it's like George was so dominant in the junior formulas. But then he hits F1, and because he's with a backmarker team, you don't see any of that from him. Because yeah. he's constantly just fighting a car that's developed wrong. Or, I won't say developed wrong, but there's not enough money and backing to develop the car into a competitive spec. Yeah. Which, you know, granted, when he was racing for Williams, that's a whole other conversation. Um, yeah. Dorleton Capital stepping in is probably the best thing that happened to Williams racing recently. Yeah, I, I'd, I'd agree with that, but you cannot forget the impact that Frank and Claire Williams, I mean, Frank, of course, um, we lost mm-hmm. a few years ago, God rest his soul, but I think without the Williams fa- uh, without the Williams family having brought that team, and it was one of the, the real last garage Easters, you know, it, it, and for those wondering about the terminology, where it was effectively building a car out of a garage, but with the multi-million pound facilities that these Formula One teams run these days is absolutely filled to the brim with the latest technology, the latest tooling, the latest generation of mechanics, engineers, electronic specialists, those that can do the, you know, the, all the carbon fiber with the, the, you know, the vacuum claves and all that, the autoclaves and that kind of stuff. There's a lot of technology and a lot of unsung heroes in Formula One because we as racing fans, we look to the drivers. But then you look at the people behind the scenes. Of course, you cannot forget about the impact that Christian Horner has made when he came in after Jaguar were bought out by Red Bull and he was the youngest ever team principal in Formula One history at just, I think, 32. And mm-hmm. you look at him now... And he is one of the most biggest power players, and he has got a sight game unlike anybody else. That guy knows how to work the press, knows how to work things into his favour, and to he doesn't go he doesn't go around the he doesn't go ring a ring roses a pocket full of poses you know it doesn't go around the houses, right. but he but he knows exactly the situation and how to play it to his advantage. And that's the sign of a good team principle. And then you see people like Fred Vasseur, who is, I think, was it earlier on this year, he was confirmed as Ferrari team principal, uh, replacing mm-hmm. Mattia Bonotto. And you have to look at how Fred Vasseur, in one season, has managed to get Ferrari to a point where they're actually able to get pole positions again. And also win a race this year, let's not forget. 
But there are still, I think, at Marinello, a couple of flies in the ointment too many. Considering the fact that at the very same point on the Interlagos circuit, what happened one year after? Charles Leclerc goes off at exactly the same point, has the same hydraulics failure, and pretty much a mirror... I I have to feel sorry for Charles. (laughs) And Brad knows exactly what I'm talking about. 12 months on from having that lock-up of the hydraulics and it spins the car around to Charles into the wall on the formation lap, I, I have to say that at the minute, Charles Leclerc is the unluckiest man when it comes to being in a Formula One car. It is, uh, it is painful to be a Ferrari fan, and I, uh, I apologize if Matt Gallagher ever sees this, but his pain is my comedy every Sunday. Oh, because oh, what every were, oh, Sunday. Yeah. Yes, because yeah, P1 with Matt and Tommy, they posted on Instagram. <laughs> and I'm going to I'm, I'm going to whilst Brad is laughing, you're going to see it on the screen now and watch Matt Gallagher's response when Tommy just goes, "Oh no." And then you look on Matt's face. And what's the first thing that's flipped over in his hands? A Ferrari snapback. Yeah. Um, It's so painful to be a Ferrari fan. It it is. I mean, they haven't won a world title since 2007. That's a decade and a half. I mean, after, after Kimi beating Fernando and Lewis, who was in his rookie season, no less as well, by literally a ha- not even a couple of points. I think it was one point at the end of it. And then you look at the run of dominance from Michael Schumacher. It's it's like these dominant spec, these dominant um, fits and starts happen with certain talents of their generation. So, like mm-hmm. you have Michael, you have Lewis. Well, yeah, before Lewis, you had Seb. Then you had Lewis. Now it's Max. And he's contracted now until, I think it's 2028 with Red Bull. 2028. Mm -hmm. And the guy is only 26 years old. And if people are going to say, yeah, he won't beat Lewis's world championship spree, well, folks... If he has a competitive car right up until 2028, now bearing in mind he will be in his early 30s at that point, 31. If at that, so, so we've got 2024, 2025. There's an op- there's a possibility that Max might be the first person to actually win five world titles on the bounce in Formula One history. If that's to happen. That would be unheard of. Absolutely unheard of. And then you look at it, so you've got 2024, 2025. Let's say, hypothetically, Red Bull, again, have mastered the regs. So, 2026, 2027, 2028. You add that up, that's more titles than Michael Schumacher, if he wins that many on the bounce. But, we all know that with a regulation shift, there can be a casualty or casualties of war we have seen it with mercedes 
over the past couple of seasons. And it's been difficult to watch that. But it's also opened up the opportunities for other teams, like McLaren, for instance. Aston Martin, who are Mercedes customer car customer engine <laughs> partners. And when the works team is pardon my French here, is doing shittier in their results <laughs> in comparison with the customer teams, you know that there is a problem lying somewhere. Um and also the fact that Mercedes's chief technical officer has left them. That, when you look at it, uh, I think it was, I'm trying to remember his name now. Um, Mike Elliott. That's it, Mike Elliott. Swapping places with James Allison. Um, so now, where does that lead? The, the big question, and don't worry, you don't need to answer this, Brad, but I want to put this out to you folks there. What do you think this means for Mercedes up until the regulation change? I'll leave that one for you folks out there. So leave your <laughs> comments in the description down below. We want to see what you think about how Mercedes is going to spring back with the W15, W16 over the next two years. Because those two years for Mercedes could be crucial in terms of them staying in Formula 1. I would, I'll be completely honest with you. You don't. You don't just have that dominant streak for so many years and then have two years that have been, to say, lamentable would probably be a complete understatement. That Toto Wolff, who is a third owner of the team, is probably at this point not slamming headphones on tables like he did a few <laughs> years ago. But I'm sure that he would have a very, very few choice words with the team as if to say, right, we need to get our heads around this situation. We need. We know that we've got a cost cap, but we need to look at every single possible opportunity within the scope of the regulations, the scope of what we are able to do under the cost cap, on how we can make this car for next year better than what we've had over the last two seasons. Because I'll be completely honest with you, as an eighth German, I am, I am disappointed for Mercedes. But it is never easy in Formula One. There is always, as you said, yep. you can be hero and then you can be zero. So we'll leave that answer for you folks to put down in the questions below. We'll get on to a next question because um, considering the time difference between me and Brad, he's five <laughs> hours behind me. Uh, so it is early morning whilst I'm recording this in the United Kingdom. But don't worry, this is all part of the fun. What inspires, I'm, I'm going to use a different play. I normally ask people who are their commentary inspirations, but for you, sir, what inspires you as a commentator is the question I'm now, I'm now going to ask you. What inspires you as a commentator? I think the biggest thing that inspires me is success with myself. Like I never, I never feel like I've done enough. Like I've never feel like I've given my best. I'm never satisfied with the job I've done. Mm -hmm. um, now, granted, there's some conversations there. Um, you know, there's some topics you can dive into, but you know, one of the big things that I've battled with, and I think this is kind of a universal conversation mm -hmm. and sort of a universal experience, but like there's been a lot of mental health stuff that I've gone through in the past few years, especially. Yeah. Um, and commentary for me was always an inspiration of an outlet. 
because it was that creative outlet. And, you know, the nice thing with pole position racing, when I came in, they gave me pure creative freedom. Um, so I was streaming, I was uploading to YouTube, running the social medias, like that was my bread and butter, my baby, where I could figure out what I liked doing, figure out what worked, what didn't work. Yeah. You know, how do you grow a Twitch platform? You know, how do you grow the league? What can I do? How do you, how do they get sponsors? What can I do to help, you know, grow this league, move this forward to find, you know, turn this passion of mine into something that makes money. And, you know, one day maybe I'll get lucky enough to do it full time and pay the bills. Um, so that's the biggest inspiration for me is that drive for something more um, and trying to push forward, you know, trying to be like you one day just for simplistic sake or, you know, George Morgan or, you know, Will Buxton trying to move forward to the point where I'm doing something I enjoy full time and it's not working behind a desk every day and, you know, making a corporation money. It's doing the things I enjoy. Mm. That's for me, like that biggest inspiration with commentary. And again, seeing people enjoy what I do. It's so, it's so cool when I post a clip on social media and seeing friends and family like it and react and go, this is really cool. You know, it's not something I know or having those conversations at work with customers, you know, and, you know, them bringing up racing. I've got a really good customer that goes to Eldora Speedway every weekend um, during the summers and races and stuff. And he found out that I do some racing commentary because he found me. He found something on Facebook and he asked me about it. He said, hey, you know, you commentate on stuff online. You know, is there dirt track racing online? And I was like, yeah, you know, there's World of Outlaw sponsored and different things with iRacing. And, you know, sent him, showed him links and, you know, he started watching sim racing from it. So that's. I think the biggest thing for me is getting more people involved with it. Yeah. And again, finding that outlet for myself and that future for myself that goes beyond just, you know, sitting in my bedroom and doing this, you know, on Wednesday nights, Saturdays and Sundays. That's a, yeah, that's a pretty powerful, you know, that's why I wanted to rephrase the question because you could say, you know, who are your commentary inspirations? And and there'll be people that will be talking about quite a few people like say Mari Walker, who would have been 100 this year, God rest his soul. You know, I can't believe it's been three years since Murray Walker passed. And he was the voice of Formula One when I was growing up. You know, you, you know, people say that David Croft's an inspiration. Um, I've had mm-hmm. people on this show actually saying that I've been an inspiration to them, which for me is also quite a, quite a humbling statement to say. Because, like, you, right. you saw, I think, hang on, I'm somebody else's inspiration. And it's when it dawns on you that you've impacted this person in a, in a positive way that you then understand, well, I am doing something right. If someone's taking inspiration from me, Mm -hmm. and sometimes they do say that imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. Don't, you know, don't get that one twisted folks. Right. But they're us as commentators. We have different styles. Whereas Dan, uh, you know, for instance, Brad has a different style to me, but our styles mix well because we know what each other, how each other works. And we've worked each other, with each other multiple times before. So when you know who you're working with, it's, it's quite gratifying in the fact that you know that you're making a positive impression on somebody else who is newer, who hasn't got as much skin in the game as you have, but understands and asks questions about how you operate. So 
like when Brad asked me to do a show reel, I was I was like, okay, send me all the clips. And I looked through and I went, okay, which ones where there's excitement? What about where there's a bit where there's comedic moments, such as the one where your co-commentator on pole position racing <laughs> lost it, um, which was, I have to Miami. say. Miami. Yeah. He absolutely lost it. And it had to go in the show reel because Brad was going, I have got absolutely no idea what's going on here. And your co-commentator lost it. And I just thought that's a perfect thing to put on the show because it does show the human side of commentators. People Mm -hmm. might think we are machines. Well, um, not quite because I'll be completely honest with you. Earlier on this week before recording this episode with Brad on Monday, my body uh, was not wanting to play ball. And there are times when you do have to Listen to what your body tells you. I had a severe migraine. I had to go to bed. I didn't get much sleep the night before. And then on the Monday morning, um, I just messaged my sister and just went, I, 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 I'm staying in bed today. Yep. And there are times when you do need to take a step back and just go, right, okay, this day is one where I need to sort of chill out. Uh, I've still got more. Work, I've still got work to do uh, for the remainder of this year because my calendar doesn't finish, finish until the 18th of December. But that just goes to show that, yeah, what Brad wants to be is is sort of like be in a doing this full time because when you're doing this full time, and granted the hours are long, arduous, you're doing a lot of prep work, but when you are doing something you love. And you're getting paid to do it. Never feels like a day a, work, a day of work in your life. The last three yep. years for me have flown by as a full time commentator, content creator, voiceover bloke, wh- whatever I've done. I have looked at it and I've enjoyed every single step of the way, and I continue to do so. So I really like how you just said that. I I'm always looking at how I can improve. And there's always a good adage here, which is you're only as good as your last performance. And that's very true. That's very akin to what you just said there, Brad, as well. Right. We've got only a handful of questions to go before we wrap (laughs) things up here on episode number 29. So, Brad, I want you to name the top three moments in motorsport that come to your head, but there is a little bit of a twist that I need to put onto this. Okay. Involving other commentators on a broadcast, not including you, but top three moments where you have completely lost and said, I cannot believe this is happening. And it's involved IRL or sim racing. You know, what are those three, the first three moments that come into your head, buddy? So I think the first one, and again, this is just, Formula One. Two two of these are going to be Formula One because they have to be. Um, it's just welcome to my bread and butter of, you know, things. The first one is, I'm just going to say a quote, and I think you'll be able to name it. These are critical corners for the world championship. Yep. Abu Dhabi 2021, Max Verstappen versus Lewis Hamilton. Yep. Yep. Um, so, and then Silverstone that same year. Oh, yes, the fateful day 
when Abu Dhabi and Silverstone 21, those two in 2021, there were a lot of big moments in 2021, but um, yeah, these are critical corners for the Grand Prix, Lewis up the inside, and then the World Championship can only go one way, but it's going Dutch for 2021. Those are the two big F1 moments that come to mind for me. Mm-hmm. And then there's a NASCAR one. So I think the big NASCAR one is Daytona 2001. Um, when... uh. Waltrip won, and uh, Daryl was commentating and going across the line that same year when Dale Earnhardt wrecked, and there was all of that going on, and nobody really knew what to look at, what to do, and it was kind of just a big moment of, you know, can't believe my brother's winning the Daytona 500, but also, I hope Dale's okay. That, That moment where it's that it's that weird confusion. And if you don't know the clip I'm talking about, look up Daytona 500, 2001 yep. last lap. Um, because you're crying and it's like, my brother just won the Daytona 500, but also my really good friends in Iraq. I hope he's okay. I don't know what's going on. Yeah. That was the, and uh, it kind of, yeah, that, that it's, I, I remember that as well. Um, and yeah, for those that, don't know about the tragedy that happened that year. Um, that unfortunately the, the eliminator passed away after that big wreck at Daytona in 2001. <laughs> and yeah, I mean, I, I, I still remember watching videos about Dale Earnhardt. And of course his, his son junior has uh, decided to come back racing again. Crazy man. <laughs> but I, I think it's junior. like the, the story of how Dale Earnhardt got his, you know, got his racing career going. You know, he was he was doing everything God sends in order to to make ends meet, and then finally gets a, a works drive, and then you know that big burly Tash. You know, before Tom Selleck was around in Magnum PI back in the eighties in the three hundred eight GTS uh, mm-hmm. in Hawaii. But it was like you know that's why he was. You know, the Daytona five hundred had always been his cursed race always had been and he managed to win it but then it was the race where we lost him um basically because of the fact that when he wrecked the exhaust pipe down the side of the car pumped carbon monoxide into the cockpit and yeah it basically meant that dale had been overcome significantly and and that's why you look at how modern day safety has has come about when people started going nuts about the aero screen in indycar (laughs) and the halo in formula one you know, you look at how it's how it's how safety has evolved when you look at Guan Yu Zhou's big wreck in twenty twenty two at Silverstone. Charles Leclerc mm-hmm. back in I think it was twenty nineteen when he was at when he was at Salva yep. Alfa Romeo. It's Max it's, and Lewis coming together at Monza. Exactly. There have been times when the Halo and the Aero screen have saved lives. So don't knock safety, folks. And when you think about the person that really, really instigated safety back in the seventies after the death of his teammate, Francois Sever, a certain man by the name of Jackie Stewart was the man that really instigated things happening in Formula One, and that has set a, uh, a, a knock-on trend. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, that, but yeah, no, those are three really good, um, really, really good uh, moments to, to talk about there. Two from Formula One from, from 2021, and of course the... The fateful day in 2001 at the Daytona 500 in NASCAR. Yep. 
Um, well, you've already talked about your future goals and commentary, so you've actually managed to forward. <laughs> I think it's like we've gone back in time, as the saying goes, with Back to oh, the yeah. Future and Doc Brown and Marcy McFly. But Brad, your final question on Commentator's Corner. Now, this is where we flip the script a little bit, because I don't tell my guests this until I let them know here on the show. But I will ask you the question to you, and then I will then respond in kind as to what my answer to it would be. So, Bradley Dalton, your final question here on episode 29 of Commentator's Corner is as follows. If you had no glass ceiling when it came to budget... And you had the opportunity to drive a road or a race car of your choice, and you can pick more than one if you so desire. You can select a circuit where you drive it at, and you have to tell me why. And then I will respond accordingly, depending on the car or cars and the circuit that you choose. Um. There's two cars. Okay. Well, actually, yeah. There's two cars. One of them is uh, Cadillac GTP. Um, I would love a chance to drive one of those in real life. And the other one is... Surprisingly, I'm going to say an F2 car. I don't think I'd want to drive an F1 car. Um, Because the thing is with F2 cars, it goes back to what I said earlier. They're spec cars. They're a little bit more accessible, and I think there's a little bit more to them. Um, and it really shows the skill of the driver. Okay. As opposed to, you know, the performance of the car. Um, if I had to do an F1 car, it's probably 2010 Red Bull. Um, again, Red Bull fanatic. So the first, you know. season, the first of four titles that Sebastian Vettel took? Yep. <clears throat> And for track, I'm going to go unconventional because um, I don't, because you can't actually run F1 cars there, even though uh, Sebastian Vettel did it over the summer. Um, I'd want to do a lap of the Nordschleife. Okay. Because it is a very, Nordschleife or Le Mans, I think, because it's tracks that you don't get to run in F1, but they are iconic in their own right they're not you know the spa francochamps they're not the codas but they're iconic tracks they're tracks that everyone knows and everyone will recognize so you're talking about the caddy dpi vr gtp Mm -hmm. car and we're also talking about the Renault powered rb6 from red bull racing which was the rs27 2010 engine at the Nordschleife. I like that. I like that. Okay. Right. The track I'm going to pick is one we wouldn't see Formula One cars running at, but we will see this car running at next year. Mm-hmm. So the Formula One car that I will go is the MP425, driven by Lewis Hamilton and Jensen Button. So in the same calendar year. And we are going... German for the GTP car that currently runs in IMSA with Team RLL. I am, of course, talking about the BMW M V8 hybrid that will be running with Team WRT next year in the FIA World Endurance Championship. 
And I think you pretty much know which circuit I'm going to be talking about, the Circuit de la Sarthe at Le Mans. <laughs> yep. So there you go, folks. That's it. Episode 29, done, dusted. And the, ch- and the white flag's already gone. The, Barney, the, the flag man in iRacing, has already worked the checkered. <laughs> Brad, thank you so much for coming on the show, mate. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you. Uh, finally, before I let you go, where can people find you on socials? Yeah, so Twitter, Bradrad2019, Instagram, Brad's Rad Commentary, uh, YouTube, Bradley Dalton, and Twitch, uh, Bradrad2019 as well. Um, definitely looking to do more behind-the-scenes stuff and kind of, you know, get a more regular posting schedule than what I currently have. Um, so look for lots of clips, lots of behind-the-scenes things. Brilliant. Well, that's it for episode 29, folks. Episode 30 is around the next Apex. Thank you very much to everyone watching and uh, liking, sharing, and subscribing on YouTube. A big thank you to everyone that continues to listen on the audio version of this, which is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, and also on Downforce Radio, the nation's motorsport station. Off of Brad, thank you very much from me, Alex. We'll see you next time for the next episode coming very soon when we hit 30 here on Commentator's Corner. Until next time, keep it pinned, stay safe, and see you again soon. Goodbye. Thank you.